0: Yes. Be positive, drowning the negativity. It seems your greatest ambition is just to bring me down. So should I be that clown? You trying to make me paint a smile on my face, feign happiness while you break me? At least attempt to step out my comfort zone to execute this master plan. I'm trying to elevate to heights my family seen before. I wake up daily, physically, mentally trained for war. I'm trained for war. Yes. Uh, about to explode, locked and loaded, better than ever
1: before. Uh, I'm screen for Alright, so welcome back to Popular by Unpopular Popular Demand. My name is Christy for James. And as always, the individual that you hear on our introduction song is Solo Star. You can follow Solo Star and Solo Star Music on SoundCloud. Once again, you can follow solo star on solo star music on SoundCloud. So as always, y'all, I start out this podcast and I got like to give a little dedication or shout out to just black people and people of color in, uh doing extraordinary things. And today, since the honor of Black History Month, uh, I think it's important, you know, it's kind of cliche, uh, but it's also important for us to just know black inventors, just to know that, you know, a lot of things that we use today, even the technology that we're doing this podcast on the cell phone that I just put to the side of me. All that stuff comes from black inventors so i just want to make sure we just name out a few of them if you did not know ta carlton created the stove on july 26 1876 so we know we love our cooking now right our soul food so he created the stove now if it wasn't for him what would we be using fire yeah right what black person gonna be next to the fire uh in today's society right uh, also, if you didn't know, um, Garrett Morgan, I'm Morgan Garrett. you know, uh, I got the brother's name wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, but he created the side, side the stoplight, right? Red, yellow, green. Now, I know some of us don't pay attention to him though, but it's still there, right? In order to make sure traffic was one smoothly, Garrett Morgan. Sorry, y'all. Garrett Morgan created that. Okay. The tricycle was created by M.A. Cherry, and that was created May 6th, 1886, y'all. The tricycle. Right? Some of us don't even know how to ride bicycles, but we got the tricycles on there, y'all. And then, we, y'all, we have, let's see, it's a lot on this list, the mailbox, y'all. How would we ever get our mail if we didn't have Paul L. Downing, who created the mailbox October 27, 1891. So if you've seen any mailbox before 1891, it was a lot. Letting you know, 1891 wasn't that long ago. I've been seeing old movies like in the 1850s, and I'm like, what that mailbox over there? Like he was not created that mailbox was not created Like people need to get their facts straight And there's a lot on this list you all the phone transmitter that was created by Garville T. Woods in 1884 y'all, you know, we always got Madam CJ Walker who created the hair products for my sisters, right? Oh, we got the lunch pail y'all the lunch pail was created by James Robertson man 1887 would you carry your lunch the lock? Many things we do to lock our doors to make sure our families. are lock our refrigerators. Like my stuff is in a refrigerator. Do not get in my refrigerator. Was created as well, and the lock was created by W. A. Martin in July twenty third, somewhere in the eighteen hundreds. They don't know when he did that, when he created that. And then the last thing, y'all, the last thing I want to throw on this list is the lawn sprinkler, y'all. The sprinklers in our lawn. The things that pop up. And go back underneath the ground. Or the thing. The yellow thing that goes. Right. was created by J.W. Smith. And that was created in 1897, y'all. So how was people watering their lawn before 1897? Getting buckets and buckets of water. That's annoying. Right. So black people, man. We haven't created a lot of things as well. So I'm just giving a big shout out to the past inventors of our time. The future inventors of our time. And the present inventors of our time. I mean, we've done a lot. So, shout out to you, shout out to Black History Month, shout out to everyone using everything that black people have created. Um, shout out to black people now knowing that what you're using, we created it. From the biggest thing to the stoplight, from the smallest thing to that cell phone in your hand. So, as always, you know I have a special guest in the studio. Um, I'm never here alone, as always. I'm always talking to somebody because I don't like to hear myself talk as much as y'all might think the opposite, but I do not like to hear myself talk. So, my guest in the studio is Jatu Chromo. How are you doing? I said the last name wrong, did I? It's alright. Oh my goodness. Jatu Chroma. Chroma. Yes. Why I say Kromo? Yes. Jatu Chroma. I'm sorry. So, Jatu, how are you doing?
2: I'm pretty
1: good. How about you, Chris? Good, Jatu. I'm great. So, Jatu, can you introduce yourself for the people? Who is Jatu?
2: Absolutely. So, the name is Jatu KFW Common Leader Chroma. That's how you pronounce it technically. I am a very proud, like, an American woman and full. Oh, as you can see, my name is a mouthful. Jonathan K. for coming to Chroma one more time. I am a mom of two. I have a four year old son and a two year old daughter. They drive me nuts, but I love them. <laughs> that little one who's four, he's in preschool and he's just, he's turned up. He's definitely showing his personality. And it's good, it's great, but some days, you know, it's tough.
0: Yeah.
2: But, um, I love being a mom. And I also love a little bit of spoken word. I haven't been writing recently. Just the inspiration, can you believe that? Lack of inspiration, but just the time, I think. Lack of time more than anything is what's really tough to just kind of get it right back into my element. So it's been some time, little by little, I'll make my way there. And when I'm not trying to write or trying to find time in the day, in my day, I'm a teacher. I'm a special education teacher, and I love my job. I love my job. I didn't expect to be a teacher, actually. It's kind of crazy. I went to school for psychology, but even prior to that, I thought I wanted to be an architect. Okay. Something about, like, houses and trying to see how houses work, and Mm -hmm. then I want to do interior design as a minor because I love furniture and decorating. Mm -hmm. I used to watch HGTV during my summer break. (laughs) Can you believe that? little teenager watching HGTV just drawing rooms and stuff. I love that. And then finally, once I got to college, I said, I really want to work with kids. I worked in the after school program. I really wanted to make a difference in kids' life. And then it just got to a point once I graduated from college looking for a job, Freedom Schools just landed right into my lap and I was like, all right, I need to continue to work with kids. And not only that, students of color primarily. And then seeing the progress of my students, of my scholars during that summer was fantastic. And I was like, I need to get an education. Sure enough, I've been in special education for going on four years. Started as a para, and then now I am a teacher in my grad program, getting my master's online at Bemidji State University, so go Beavers. Okay. And then Oxford College was my undergrad. I didn't say that, but I went to Oxford College, got my... Undergrad in psychology, so mm, Osberg. Yes, Osberg. Scratching the head of no, no, no. university now. Yeah, right. It's not
1: Osberg College. You know, I graduated from Osberg University, oh, formerly known as Osberg College. Oh. Yeah, I graduated there too with sociology and psychology minor, mm-hmm. uh, sociology and psychology, uh, major and minor. I guess. Uh, but yeah, definitely. So you talked about you wanted to be this architect, right? Yes. You wanted to do like. How do I put houses together? How do I do interior design? Now, I know that passion hasn't left you, right? It just seems to be transferred something. So how does that passion of putting things together, uh, seeing how things work, and trying to make a home look beautified translated to special education as a teacher now. So how does that that do that?
2: That's a really good question. So there's some answers. A couple answers I can give to that question. First of all, it hasn't left me. My house, you will see me buying all kinds of stuff, garage full of stuff I'd like to decorate, but then also some of the things that I retrieve over the years from teaching or whether I'm finding something on sale at Target, Mm -hmm. um, I'll take that into my room. So I have a rocking chair in my classroom. Now, it's a small space as a special education teacher where I'm at, and that's okay, but I make it cozy as possible. So I'm thinking about the size of the room, how best can I serve my students, and how comfortable my students can be while they're learning in that space. Mm -hmm. So like I said, I have a rocking chair in the corner. I got yoga mats ready if they want to lay down and read a book or if I'm teaching they want to lay down on the yoga mat they can I have blankets ready for them and they have their own also their individualized like copies and things that belong to them okay so just trying to make it work for them
1: yeah so it's kind of so watching HGTV yeah. um, <laughs> as that 11 year old kind of prepare you as this 20 I, I don't know how old you are um, you want to guess no, I don't, you know, you don't guess women ages. And, you know, my mom used to whoop my butt. You don't ask no woman how old she is. You wait till she tell you and you believe it no matter what you think. Ah, what so, that's you're 24. <laughs> that's what, that's think what I think. That's what you are. You're 24 and that's it. But, uh, but yeah, we're coming to this age where, you know, you're 24. Uh, okay. How old are you? Okay. I'm 26 years old. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. okay. I'm not going to keep lying on this podcast. So, as a 24 year old, y'all too. Uh, but uh, but yeah, coming in with 11 year old at AGTV and being this 26 year old, it paid off because now you've been able to use those skills that you prepared, that you had yeah. um, in the classroom to make it, like you said, make it more comfortable and affordable for your students. Mm-hmm. Uh, not affordable, but more comfortable and uh, relaxing for Absolutely. your students. Uh, so they can, have the massive, they can have the maximum learning experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how, did, so, how is online classes as, for a special ed, ed teacher? Because that seems kind of, you know, you think of like being a teacher, like you really take an online classes for a teacher. So, how is that process of not actually being in front of a professor and actually being able to see their teaching style in, in real life and just learning? So, how's that? See,
2: the thing is, I am not new to online classes. I did it in undergrad. Okay. I was also at Minneapolis. Um, community and Technical College, taking a summer class while still enrolled at Oxford College, taking summer <laughs> classes, okay? So, I, yeah, I made sure to get done. I was trying to rush out of there. But it it's just, you know, you really got to train yourself. And I have to be on. I have to say this. You really have to be very diligent and organized. You really have to know the deadlines. Some classes for me were really, really easy because they had the same deadline or submission dates. But then there were some that I was just like oh my gosh, What did I did I miss that date? And then I got to email the professor. But it's really, really hard because on top of that, I got due process paperwork as a special education teacher. I got two little rugrats. Well, kind of one rugrat for sure. And um, it's just, it's really tough to just make sure that you get everything in by the submission date. And I'm definitely one for quality work. And so trying to take the time to do that quality work and then turn it in by the day is it's kind of hard. And then they want to throw in, gotta show your face in video classes and um <laughs> It's just like really,
1: just listen to my voice talk. Maybe. It does. Yeah. <laughs> so you gotta show your faces yes. So you have, so you have video Facetime. Yeah,
2: video Facetime with the
1: class. Oh, so everybody's on at one time. Yes. How many people is that usually?
2: Usually ten to fifteen. Oh my goodness! Seeing yeah. everybody face on
1: one screen. No. Like a like, exactly. <laughs> like I know. Look, bruh. Right. Exactly. Can you to... put on some clothes? Like, <laughs> yeah. why are you, like is that your? Is, are you in pajamas? <laughs> Did you just get up and go to the bathroom? Right. Like, oh my Can you goodness. turn your camera off? Yes. Like, is that your kid running around it, behind? That's usually <laughs> me. <laughs> so they be talking about you. Yes. Jackie you? just don't know how to settle her kids down. Correct. I don't know how she's going to be a special ed teacher. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> she can't settle her kids Okay, so cool. So online classes isn't as bad as, as what we're seeing. It's just about really being organized and on top of your things. And for some people, it, it works. Like for you, yeah. it works being having two kids at home, one who's a what rack, and, uh, what rack <laughs> having to do due process mm-hmm. um, paperwork as um, being a special ed teacher, mm-hmm. which takes a lot. You know. of time because you have to follow. we'll get into what all that looks like and sounds like and feels like as mm-hmm. a you know due process is a lot mm-hmm. so it takes so it takes a lot i feel you and i hear you mm-hmm. um is there anything else you want the people to know before we like dive into um deep into a conversation about special education
2: yeah for sure i mean like at this time i'm an adult i'm sure many of you all are adults as well so just manage your time because that's how I get through the day. Now, of course, it's only 24 hours and you need to make sure you eat, and sleep, yeah. you know, even take a little poo or whatever you got to do. <laughs> so just making sure you have time for all of that and just really spend time with family, you know, because I want I want a lot for myself and I want a lot for my little ones as well. So mm-hmm. making sure that they know their mama is there, but their mama's working. Too. Yeah.
1: Cool. So as Jatu said, she's a special ed teacher and she is currently um in school for a special ed, getting her master's in special ed. So she has a plethora of knowledge around the special ed spectrum and education the issue and stuff like that. So we're going to really, at this first part, we're going to really just give an overview of what special ed, special education is. So it's going to sound a little academic, Um, so we might throw some social things in there. But it's going to be really, what is this thing called special education? And then when we come back from break, we're going to really dive into... Um uh, how me and John too see the disparities in special education in the school systems that we work in because we both work in two different school systems, um uh, which I think is a plus, and we both have worked together as well as a pro- with a program and there was a lot of disparities are not even there's disparities in how we how programs are supposed to help, especially at two in the summer, and that's a big issue that. These summer programs don't really always have the resources for special education, but really want Mm -hmm. to take in students who fit those modes. And I'm doing quotations because we want to talk about that disparity of what fitting a mode is. So what is special education, Too, What is this thing, uh, special education? Because I... You're talking to me, but you also talk to the people, but I don't know everything about it. I just <laughs> know what I see. Like There's a lot of black boys in special education, y'all. That's messed up. But how did <laughs> it start? Like, like what y'all trying to tell us? Like, But how did this thing start? What was the reasoning behind special ed? Yeah, well, let
2: me tell you, okay? I'll tell you right now. So special education is still relatively new for me, too, because I'm learning the history about it now as I'm diving into my special education-specific courses. Prior to that, just taking those um teaching so I know how to be an effective teacher but it really stems from the public law 94-142 which is IDEA so it wasn't originally called that but when Ford signed the law the public law back in 1975 that it was something called different than what it is now but it had something to do with students with disabilities or handicapped children and so over the years they have been able to provide a free appropriate public education service to all students. So they weren't just going to provide education, free public um, education for students who are able bodies, mm-hmm. okay? And even learning about the history prior to this law, I mean, in the olden times, they would take the baby and either shut it, um, they may take the baby and just we'll say disregard it right. or discard it. I should say. Yeah. And so I mean it was heartbreaking to know that. But then fast forwarding into 1975, so Ford comes up with this new thing, and through the years it's just gotten better and better by including these students into the general education setting and making sure that they have access to a free public education. And so it was recently, um, not recently, but um, it was revised in 2004 as IDEA, which is the Individuals with Disabilities. And that was um, back in 2004. And this guaranteed that free appropriate public education and the least restrictive environment. And we can dive into that a little bit later too. Mm -hmm. But that is basically the really subtle way of explaining special ed in its its foundational form, I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So before 1975, this really wasn't, no thing to ensure that these students who had these disabilities, mm-hmm. uh, were these physical disabilities or mental disabilities? What yeah. So when I did was first started in 1985, was it about physical disabilities?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was mental and okay. physical. So if you think about disorders such as autism, yeah. and of course, they didn't have a diagnosis for that, mm. but things like that. Okay. Disorders such
1: as that. I think around that the DSM like two or three was you know DSMs or, mm-hmm. or was out two or three and all those diagnoses and all mm-hmm. those things mm-hmm. um happening. So so before that like where these kids was either because you use the word discarded or yeah. um yeah. just left alone and mm-hmm. they weren't was it in a sense of like I'm just in the classroom and like no one's taking care of me or was it in a sense that they came enter into the public school doors right.
2: So when I say discarded, I mean, we're talking years, and maybe a hundred years prior to that. So during that time, when it came to the actual school system, they were placed in specialized schools away from able-bodied peers. So Mm. they would only be with disabled kids. Isn't that crazy? And then what was even crazier were they were placed in very, very insufficient schools. So they didn't have all of the resources. They were placed in ghettos. Mm. Um, They were not able to access the things that able-bodied peers would have access to. So they were completely isolated. They would have to go to a specific special school. Now, there are still special schools for students who have severe disorders or disabilities, right? Yeah. Whether it be behavior or whether it be mental, um, having a mental disability or handicap. And so with that said, they still have um, this way now, thank goodness, of including those kids
1: as well. So, right. and I I I can't even imagine. Um, well I can I can because I I, I have my people, black people, have similarly been through a situation where we know we are separated from schools. you schools are mm-hmm. under resourced. Right, we are put in mm-hmm. clubs. Um, they are expected for two hundred kids to live in one shack. Right, mm-hmm. our classes mm-hmm. are outside. You know, it's raining. You know, things like that. Uh, for a community, um, the disability community to be shunned and mm-hmm. putting schools in and wants to be under-resourced too as mm-hmm. well and not be able to have those adequate things or adequate training or teachers who understand or who even might even um care about their right. well-being of special education right
2: and what's i even just think i constantly think about the parents man yeah. you know how did they feel hearing that and how did they deal with that i couldn't imagine going to a school enrolling my child and they're judged or they're being told that they can't attend this school even though nothing, no other odds are against them other than they have this disability. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my goodness. So that just is what blows my mind, blows my mind. But going back to IDEA, there are six provisions that I also wanted to mention too, which are the really um, six main principles of the act. So the first one is faith, as I mentioned before, the free appropriate public education. And then you have the appropriate evaluation. Okay, and that takes a lot of different steps. You may have different people coming in as service providers providing specific services such as speech. You may have counseling services or social work in there. The third one would be the IEP, the Individualized Education Plan. And that also takes the team including the teachers, special ed teacher, gen teacher, you have the parent and also the service providers as well to come up with or draft this IEP for the student. You have the LRE, the least restricted environment, as well, and those have three different settings too. So you have a setting one, which is less than 21% of their day, which is spent in the resource room setting. And then you have setting two, which is 21 to 60% in the resource room setting, where they're getting that individualized learning with the special education teacher. And then the last setting is a setting three, or setting four is what they also call it as well, where they are getting 60 plus percentage of their day spent into the resource room setting and so I do have some kids that I know who I work with who are in those different settings they vary depending on their needs some of them are academic and then there are those who have behavior concerns as well so going back to the provisions we have the fifth one which is parent participation which is huge 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 can't even express how parent participation is so important and then the last is the procedural safeguards We usually give out, well, we are required to give out the procedural safeguards at least one time annually, and this is basically the rights of the parents, so they know. These are the different agencies that you can go to to advocate for your child or advocate for yourself if you are having any concerns or issues or you want to know anything about the law and your rights, manifestation of determination, um, whatever you want to know that has to do with law and, and advocating for your child that is a procedural safeguards. It's an 18-page long document. Oh. It's long,
1: but um, it is very valuable. Is there a uh, spark notes to that document? <laughs> <laughs> that is a spark For people note. like me who like, yeah. give me the notes. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yes, yeah. but what
2: we do, what I like to do is I like to highlight just the key things. Yeah, so I'll okay. highlight the agency. So PACER is a agency okay. that is local um, that we offer the parenthood that we advise parents to utilize and so i i just highlight some few things q or uh, a few q things mm-hmm. um important things and then uh they are they are able to read those on their own so there's that the six <laughs> provisions of idea
1: okay so those provisions are to ensure that the kid is the school system and the teachers and everyone involved in the process of making uh, sure that that's scholarly has the same or afforded the same opportunities as an yeah. able body or abled um individual whether it's able body uh i don't know what the able i don't you know it's hard because i'm not th- it's hard to talk about uh it's not hard to talk about mental illness that's not the point but um the correct terminology right to the to because when i think of able body, i think of like you know people who are able to do things with their body but me- a mental thing too mm-hmm. like are you saying able mentally Because then that doesn't sound right. right out of the mind and stuff like that are you talking about because uh, although because this this thing about what's normal mentally mm-hmm. is still um man-made yeah because what who says what's what's normal mentally right, right. what's what's mentally normal what's mentally stable that's right. man-made so when you so when you go into that state and be like well you're not mentally stable Compared to who the the white man law, right. or the man made law, or black man made man law, like so, what are those? You know, yeah. you can give me the right terminology, but I still would feel a little oh bit uncomfortable God. because I feel like my mental stability, like, isn't as different from your mental stability. It's the way we process and think how we do. Yeah. So what is what is that normal brain? I know there's yeah. a lot of technology. I mean, a lot of science stuff behind it. You know, people are, and white coats and. Up there saying, "I took the burden, and this is what the burden is mm-hmm. supposed to do." Well, <laughs> who told you the brain supposed to do that You're not really proving anything; you're right. just disproving that. Well, it's not supposed to do that, right? right. <laughs> so it must point. do this. So what? I mean,
2: yeah, and I mean, mind you, like I said, I'm still fairly new to this whole special education thing, and I myself to this day, I'm still trying to make sure that I get the right terminology. So excuse me if I said anything incorrect so far, but I would say that non-disabled. So that could go across the board in general. I think that's more general versus me saying able-bodied. Because, of course, when I was speaking, I was just thinking physical. But isn't able-minded, I guess? But to be more correct, non-disabled. As I'm thinking about it, as I'm writing my IEPs or my evaluations, non-disabled peers. So non-disabled is more suitable to use, Because then you could be talking about mental. Then you could be talking about physical. Then you could be talking about behavior, which is associated with mental
1: so Mm -hmm. yeah okay yeah cool so these six provisions that uh idea has right Mm -hmm. so we have the first thing was a free and appropriate education is just let us into the doors that is that kind of like what that's saying or what is that free and appropriate education
0: yeah
2: it's just Education for all. So just across the board, everybody yeah. has an opportunity in the United States of America yeah. to go to school, and it is free uh, uh, unless you want to pay for an expensive monetary which I might consider um, for my little one, um, or a private school. But everybody has free public education. Yes.
1: That's no matter who, what, when, where, how, no and why what you disability are, disability or not. Yeah. You, everyone has that free answer. And then it's approval evaluation. So can you take us through what uh, the approval evaluation is and what those what those steps are? Because you, know, you said there's a lot of things that go underneath approval evaluation. So what is that? Okay, um,
2: so when you're doing an evaluation, there are so many steps. There's first the process to see if the student is eligible so even the eligibility process is something where you have to collect data. You have to have interventions put in place. And then you have to see over time how those interventions are working for the student. If they're not, then you've got to go back and try something else. At that point, I mean, throughout the entire process, the parent is in the loop. The parent is known, hey, they're not performing at grade level. They're struggling with this. It could be. It could be a behavior concern, whatever it may be. But um, they're in the loop throughout all of that. Then you get to the point of an evaluation process in special ed where I come in. So prior to that, I don't have anything to do with that. It's the teacher. It might be the behavior coaches. It could be the interventionist trying to figure out what is working for the child, what's not. And then once it gets to me during the evaluation process, we do many different tests. One of the tests that we do is the Woodcock-Johnson test of... She may have heard about, about that.
1: Heard Nails, about that. Nails, I
2: know all about Wilcott. <laughs> Wilcott Johnson. It's mm-hmm. a lot. And I feel yeah. bad for the kids because it's so many different subtests. We do 13 subtests for that. And then we also do a review of academic records. You're looking at health history. You're looking at physical status. You're taking information from the families, um, the parents, what they have to say about their child, concerns, strengths weaknesses, things that they want to see their child work on. And then you're also getting information from uh, uh, the general education teacher and also looking at behavior records, behavior concerns. There are so many different questionnaires that the teachers and parents are filling out. And then you also are getting information sent to the psychologist. The school psychologist does the whole diagnostic of some of the questionnaires to see where are they performing with different areas. And it's a lot whether they can focus or not, or when they can they can sit down and how well they learn, how well they're able to stay on task or off task. It's so much, so that's why we call it really a team. Appropriate e-value, you're incorporating the team, which mm-hmm. includes everybody. And if they have a speech concern as well, you're bringing in the speech language pathologist as well to do testing. So it's a lot. Yeah.
1: That seems like a lot. It seems like a very stressful situation on both the parent, mm-hmm. the scholar, the teachers, um, and the um other professionals that are involved in that. So the speech pathologists if that comes in, the school psychologist, if that yeah. come in. Um, seems like, they, I mean, just to see what kind is of 13, 13 different tests. Now, are these 13 short tests, like five minutes? Or are these 13, like, you ain't here for an hour with me?
2: <laughs> Usually that's what it is, where it's testing over multiple days, and it could be, you know, based on availability for me, and my schedule is very tight. So I'm testing anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and a half of a student, and when we get done is when we get done. But it's really just based on skill. There's no preparation, there's no studying for it. They just sit down, you give them the instructions, and then you have them perform to the best of their ability. And you just let it go from there. It could be, with some kids, it could take them longer based on their disability, or based, or their their possible disabilities. so mm-hmm. if it's specific learning disability or if they have a, they're a student with autism it may just vary um so it just depends on the student but the other thing too with that evaluation process parents really decide do i want this special education label on my child mm-hmm. and that's at a time where parents are going to either go forward because they know that their child is suffering, they know that they need help and support, or they're just backed off.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Nope, don't want to have nothing to do with it. I don't want that label for my child. And I've noticed that a lot more in the African community, particularly Librarian. And par- par- it could be partially because Librarians don't know about special education and, you know, how their child is different. And I mean there could be the stigma of accepting that too. Mm-hmm. They don't want to accept the fact that something is wrong with my child. Mm-hmm. But there is and they're not succeeding. The
1: data shows. So so I'm not we're not gonna I'm not gonna combat that data. Uh, I'm not now because we're still just learning about the process. Sure. But I'm definitely when we come back after another like ten minutes and we get on a break and we come back, we're definitely gonna go ahead and talk on that because I wanna uh talk more about that. So, then we have the IEP, was the Individual um, Education Educational plan. plan, which is basically after the diagnosis has been by the psychologist, because uh, that's who makes the diagnosis, correct? The psychologist officially puts the diagnosis, but well, it's a team effort in deciding what it is, but the psychologist signs off on the diagnosis. Not necessarily. Okay. So,
2: there could be a medical diagnosis, too. Okay. And so, the evaluation is just to see what services the school should provide based on those assessments and the prior diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about a kid with ADHD, you already have that, that could be grounds for special education, because they have attention issues, they need to focus and they may be behind academically. Mm So it just, again, um, they may or may not be diagnosed immediately but typically once we get that evaluation report back then we'll see the areas of concern if it's specific learning disability and reading and math if there are behavioral concerns or if there is um, another prior disability yeah. existing
1: disability cool all right so then i know there's also 504 plans too as well yeah. and what is um wait, me mean, i'm not you know there's 504 plans the 504 plans the IEPs are definitely different from each other yes. um and how they're First, evaluated and then two, how they're operated and put out in the system, and three, and how the settings are because the five hundred four plan is there's not, there's, uh, there's not really settings in five hundred four plan. Right. Right. So
2: really good point. Yeah, the section five hundred four plan is usually something where it's a medical situation typically, and it's a medical situation that may not affect the student's academics as another disability. So. Kids that I've seen with 504 plans could include a student with um, diabetes, a student with epilepsy, or a student with severe asthma. Those are some of the examples that I've seen in my experience. Now, a couple of those students also have IEPs, and that very well could be just because they are behind on the learning curve. So some kids may just have a Section 504 plan, and some may have both. Or some just have an IEP. So it just all varies.
1: And then we go to this uh less restricting less restrict least restricting le- least restricting environment yeah um so less than twenty one percent is there, so they might take so I'm thinking of I teach high school and you mm-hmm. teach elementary mm-hmm. um so I'm thinking of like in a high school setting um less restrictive environment means I might be take i might be in that one e b d class or a special ed class which yeah. is math right? mm-hmm. I might be in that one math class the norma of the seven, six classes are mainstream classes. Yep. How did that play off in elementary where they're in the same class every day? So how did that less than 21% play out in those environments?
2: Good question. So it just all depends on the service minutes and what we think is appropriate. So with our school, we have a specialized reading time, and that's where everybody breaks out into Title One school. And so they either get Title One services or they're in a very leveled, reading group in the gen ed setting and it could be a low group or a high group and then you have this time for special education services so it could be a student who's just getting reading or they could be getting a little bit of reading a little bit of math Um, but it definitely is varied by student and um, just depending on what the student needs and then some kids also have an on task behavior, behavior goal or social skills so They are pulled during times where it's non-core classes. Mm -hmm. So reading with gen ed, and math with gen ed, and we'll pull them out of social studies or science, gym, lab, art, and elective class, but we keep them in the mainstream classroom to get that general education instruction. And so again, it just varies on each student and what their service minutes require. Okay. And then the next one is the setting two, 21 to 60%. Again, that varies too. I have a couple of kids that are, are right there on the cusp, right there on the 22 mark. Like they could classify as a setting two student because we've increased their minutes based on a recent evaluation or an We're yeah. like, hey, they're not making that much progress or they're not making enough progress. And so we might increase minutes there. And so those different settings is more time away from their, able peer, their non-disabled peers, excuse okay. me. And then, of course, 60 plus we do have a, a couple of students who are setting three and one student last year was a student with autism. Um, and so she required a lot of assistance there, but then more so this year, it's specific learning disability, they are just two, three grade levels behind. And mm-hmm. so that's why they're
1: getting that more than 60% instruction in the resource room. Okay. And, could, and is there a possibility of going from most restricted to least restricted as there's a possibility of going from least restricted to most restricted?
2: Absolutely. Okay. Show the progress. I'm going to kick you out. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: So then, <laughs> get out this class. Girl. i told my kids that. <laughs> like my
2: favorite school, I said, you want to be a special ed? I understand, like you, you know, the label. You guys are about to go to high school, and I really—it's all out of love. Like I really want them to succeed. I'm trying to get them to know you got to pass this MC. This free, you know, mm. just really hyping them up and telling them you can do this. Push yourself. Stop being lazy,
1: dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i so mean. So this parent, so the next provision is that parent participation. Yes. So um, is this saying parent participation throughout the whole process, or is this saying parent participation once we figured out the IEP, the list (laughs) we environment, (laughs) now we want you to participate?
2: Right. (laughs) Like I said, I mean, from the very beginning, parents should be notified and are notified Mm -hmm. of what the steps are, what the interventions are, and what's being done in regard to their child. If I was a parent, I definitely want to know every step of the way. You better call me, you better text me, you better email me something. Mm -hmm. And so... The parents are notified. Now, if they respond or not, that's on their own doing, okay? Okay. But we definitely send notice of team meeting. That's one of the pieces of the IEP or the processes of what we do. So we notify them. We let them know this is what we're doing. We notify them of meetings and things like that. We log all of the contacts and such as well. And so really trying to make sure that the parents are on board because, again, it's that team decision. How can we make a decision
1: about somebody's child and the parent of that child is not around? So cool. And then the last thing is procedure safeguards, which is basically what you explained earlier. Mm-hmm. Is just about um this eighteen-page document <laughs> that I have that you highlight for parents to say these are your rights. Yep. Um, as your rights. A parent of a special ed- of a kid who has an IEP or 504 plan. Yes. Sir. Right. Cool. So I mean. Okay, I'm understanding special education. I feel like I, I feel like I can go and get another master's in special right now, um, and um, and be like, yeah, I got my master's in special ed, but I'm sure not in the classroom. And, um, the as soon as as soon as the black person get a special ed license, they put you in the classroom. By the way, of um, course, <laughs> don't if you're a black person, don't tell anybody you want a special ed license. They might just pay for it. <laughs> Right, right. be right. like, like, "What would you say?" Well, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, we we got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're gonna pay for your whole PhD. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, <thank you. laughs> which might sound like a good thing, but it's mm-hmm. a lot of it's a lot of work. I mean, and it's a it's a it's a rewarding work too. Just teaching in general, but I've heard I have heard not, but and I have heard, uh, um, from special ed um, teachers, one who is a really good friend of mine, who I really love her, and was same St. with me mm-hmm. that. Um, hard and rewarding at the same time. Yeah. Um, and sh- she always quotes that special ed teachers are lawyers because you have to know the law. That's true. As a special ed teacher, you have to know the law, you have to do um, due process, you yeah. have to make sure it's according to the law. So, like, when you get a special ed degree, you like going to law school. You're like, oh, so this is law school and teaching.
2: Right. Mm. And I mean, let me add one more thing too. As special education teachers, we're not only lawyers, but let me tell you we are also stylists <laughs> we are hairdressers i was coming somebody's to here today this morning. <laughs> okay we are counselors we give them advice mm-hmm. i'm a hype woman yeah okay i'm a hype woman cheerleader i'm also a cheer coach so that ties into my job as well would you a
0: lot mm-hmm.
2: okay shoulder to crime all of that
0: mm-hmm. but
2: most of all i have to do say it's really rewarding and i love seeing the students go from this element
1: to the next and just seeing and watching them grow yeah cool yeah all right so i think we have exceeded the conversation around what special education is introduced ourselves so we're going to take a break real quick and when we come back we're going to dive into everything that is wrong <laughs> with special education so hopefully y'all ready for that conversation
0: before i wake up daily physically mentally trained for war i'm trained for war Yes, about to explode, locked, and loaded better than ever before.
1: I'm trained for war. All right, so welcome back. We're back. um, We took a longer break than uh, possible. And, you know, people always want to come in here and and kill your vibe. Um, Y'all know I'm always in the studio, so somebody came in and was like, can you be so quiet in the studio? Ain't my fault. But the walls ain't sound poop. And we wasn't even talking about nothing. Why we was in here talking about uh freedom school stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and our joy of going to freedom school next Thursday. <laughs> the joy. <laughs> I can't even straight, I can't even keep a straight face saying the joy of going to freedom school. Next yes. Training next
2: week. <laughs> Come on, Christy
1: Oh, shoot. Okay, y'all, so we're going to, like I said, we're back again, and we're going to really talk about and dive into uh, the disparities in special education. I mean, as we just got a little brief history from Two and jatu thank you for that, because I learned a lot about the history of special education and the provisions in special education, and kind of it, 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 what it did, it helped me become what it's going to do and what it did in the moment, to help me be like, man, how can I be a better advocate for my... Um, my scholars who I interact with every day, who I know are in these predicaments and families, and to be like, man, these are your rights, your divisions, and be that aid and helper to the special ed teacher who is pushing those agendas too. Because yeah. I think what's happening as a as a general ed teacher, right? I really don't, you know, that's not my job. <laughs> but you know, like I might have, like I said <laughs> in high school, I might have that special ed teacher in for a uh, special ed teacher, a special ed student, a uh, student with an IEP or five hundred four plan in my classroom for first hour, second hour, third hour. But that's only when i interact with them right like the other stuff about the i point. that's the other teacher's job to figure that out and that's the special ed teacher and his case manager job to yeah. figure out yeah. how those things are going and that's not mine and i think that's the the narrative that's going around in school like well i will go call your case manager or I get your case manager just really figuring out hey we should all know special ed uh, laws and provisions yeah. to make sure that all our students are successful instead of me just being the sole the special ed teacher being the sole owner provider mm-hmm. of that information right, um, and stuff like that. So um, that's important. So let's go into the disparities though. So special education was created in 19, ideal, uh, signed by Ford was created in 1975. Mm-hmm. Uh, we said that the kids had these six provisions, uh, which mean that all students, no matter who they are, what they are, why they are, when they are and where they were, um, are accepted mm-hmm. to free public education. Yeah. And that we have to serve those students, that's right. uh, all that. So how did we get into this myth of where there's so many disparities in education? I mean, in special education, we know there's a lot of disparities in education, yeah. but there's so many disparities in education. I mean, let's talk about the disparities on the race base. Like, there are so many black people, um, specifically black males, mm-hmm. in special education. So how did we get to this point?
2: It just, it really is an overrepresentation. It could be an overlabeling. People are way too quick to put a label on these kids and just immediately from their behaviors. And so you can really take a look at culture. Okay, really good point a coworker brought up. Some teachers who are white, they may see blurting in class as a reason for a punishment or a consequence. Whereas in the black community, the African culture, blurting ain't nothing. You blurt so you can be heard. Mm. In a conversation among a huge family, you have to blurt in order to be heard. So when a student is sitting in class and they have an issue with blurting and you see them getting marks or strikes as part of our discipline system for blurting, if you question, like, was the student really a distraction or were they being themselves because that is who they are and that is how they are. So that is what's really tough. So you have many people who could have... preconceived idea of what the student is based on what they look like and how they act it's really really unfortunate and I'm just saying you know even from a young age my son right now he's struggling he's struggling with behavior he wants to (laughs) say I hate you and I'm just like kid where did you get that we don't want to talk like that at home Um, things that he's picking up from school and other kids and he's just internalizing it and I don't want that label for my child. And so I'm trying to do everything that I can. But what ultimately what I'm trying to get at is there's just this idea that these kids who aren't learning, they can't sit down, they got ADHD. Please uh, take them in for a medical diagnosis. They may be on the spectrum of autism. All of these different things. They're not performing well um, academically. So there could be a mislabel or an automatic slap. Yep. You
1: got a disability all right so you talked about um culture and then the labeling and then um you came into like a little personal story of your own that your child right now is behaviorally yeah um, doing some weird things that you're like yeah. um, um, you, um you want me to say your child name on the podcast Jackson. okay jackson because you never know oh uh, but <laughs> jackson um uh, like we don't do those things um here at the the this home right. We right, don't do right. these things at this home, so a couple of weeks ago we had jasmine Boda um on um uh, and she wrote mothering Through pain and suffering and she, we talked about early childhood education mm-hmm. um, we talked about the importance of from room from conception until you know education from conception to eighteen mm-hmm. right um is the perception of teachers um in special education our teachers who are labeling the kids is could it be the lack of early education in is the reason why the disparities? Now I know my answer to that, but like, you know, what is it could it because, you know, it's a lot of black people, right. you know, in, in special education and you said the wrongful labeling. Yeah. Then we talked about like just not being prepared. Mm-hmm. Or you talking about, you know, what what could you, what is contributing mm-hmm
2: to that overrepresentation, yeah, I would say definitely that Early Intervention, with all capital letters, Early Intervention. Now mind you, Jackson's tripping. And Mm -hmm. I'm just, like I said, I don't want that label. But if I can get him the services and get him the right people to be in his life in order to help him be successful in the classroom, behaviorally, then so be it. Because once you are able to get the support that you need right away, that is a better outcome there's a better outcome now i wish i had the information me up and the stats and all of that but i would strongly suggest or would believe that the earlier the intervention the less likely you're going to see behaviors or academic dis- difficulties later on
1: okay yeah so I, I i hear you the earlier the intervention the less that you're going to see the things better on what about when those early interventions are are put in place, but your child still receives that label, right? So um, we have, what, where, where does that come from? Because i I know parents and scholars who are like, man, I've been in pre-K, um, my mom used to read to me as a two-year-old, like I remember I'm reading to you, but still are placed in, in that um, special education and specifically for our black males in that EBD label, mm-hmm. which is Emotional Behavior Disorder, right? Mm-hmm. So what is that? What is that what is that stemming from uh about why we why we are constantly put with EBD.
2: Yeah, it's really crazy. You know, when you think about the behavior piece of it like I I mean some kids they may not have the ability or like self-control. So like boys specifically it could I mean, Boys in general are told, don't cry, be a man, be tough, do all of these things. And so instead of being sad and crying, they may be sad and it comes out in anger. And so unfortunately, if you're having those behaviors where you're seeing them throw a chair because they're sad or they're um, saying really crazy profanities because they're angry or they're, I'm sorry, because they're sad and it comes out as anger, you're going to automatically assume, yep, this kid's got EBD. They may not have the right tools or support or people who are able to help them deal with those different emotions. Another thing too, black boys are being told that they got ADHD. Oh, he can't sit down, he can't focus, he's always tapping the pencil, he's always moving, he's always doing this and that, that's another big one that kids, uh, black kids, black boys are being labeled and and, and being said to have ADHD. And so again, that's another label for them to be special education Mm -hmm. students.
1: Yeah. Um, um. When so we got through this process of free appropriate education for the provision that making sure everybody has it. Then we go to the application evaluation process, right? which you said is a series of everything. When is the time that we get to the point where we're saying that a teacher is incompetent? Like, right, is that ever happens in the process where we're saying like, look, as a educator, you are wrong about this child, and we're not about to place a label on, on that child. Do we ever get to a point? Because to me, it's I don't know the numbers of how many kids get tested versus how many kids actually put the label on it. I don't have those stats. Right. Uh, I don't know what that's. I don't know if you know what those stats are. But it And it seems like to me that once a kid starts that testing process, it seems like they're, it's, it's a free all to go. Like, yeah, we're, we're going to try with the parent to put this, to get them these services. Mm-hmm. So what is it that, so when is it, so a two-part question. Um, when is it that, we finally say okay this is an incompetent teacher they are they are Mm. putting too many kids Mm -hmm. and especially disparity black kids Mm -hmm. um in special education i keep waving on this incompetent teacher and Mm -hmm. when is the time where we um that i forgot the second question maybe it comes up but
2: okay so with that being said i think that during that evaluation process when you're trying to figure out what is going to how is the student perform, performing academically, how is the student performing behaviorally, whatever the case is. So when they're taking a look at the di- the tests, when they're taking a look at a previous diagnosis and all that, they're weighing that in, the parent is the one to step in and be like, I don't want to go forward with it. It's ultimately their decision. So the team can come up with all oh, of this information, all of this data, all of the test scores, with the WJ and the brief and the fast. and I know I'm using abbreviations but those are some of the tests that are used to assess the students in their academics and behavior and you can take all that data but if the parent sees it and the whole time could be on the fence or could be one way or the other if they don't want that that's when they put the stop to it just like if a student already has an existing IEP or evaluation they can put a stop to it at any time. They do not have to provide services for their child or be okay with other people providing services for their child um, if they don't want to. They can completely stop it. Then they have to realize and understand where their child is at academically. And they could be at risk for extended school year, summer school. They could be at risk for retention, being retained. So it's all up to the parent.
1: So. I hear you. It's all it's all up to the parents, and and you responded um, when we went in the fifth provision, right? You talk about parent participation, whether they respond or not. So where do we get to a point where, the school is making the decision that we have to move forward, whether the parent responds or not? Does that happen in that application evaluation process, or is this after the fact where it's like, I'm just keeping you updated whether you, like, can you change an IEP without the parent responding?
2: Absolutely not. you got to have a parent consent. Okay. You've got to have parent consent, you've got to have that signature. It's a legal document. It's a mm-hmm. legal document that carries the students throughout their education, and you cannot go for it if you do not have that signature, and you do not have that go-ahead from that parent. You need to sue. I mean, you can go to Right Law. I think it's Rights Law or rightlaw.com and there are so many different cases in regards to parents filing, Suits against schools for injustices regarding special ed. They're mm. really good cases.
1: Yeah. Cases um, like what? like?
2: I mean, you're looking at cases to, with um, paying for schooling. So parents could have felt as though their students weren't getting the most out of a public school education mm-hmm. and then want to transfer their child to a private school and the school's been sued and has to pay for the private school, or private school education mm. uh, for a certain amount of time. Um, something similar to that if they're not following the IEP. They're not taking into account what the disability is and providing the appropriate services. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Mm-hmm. So going back to that, eighteen-page procedural safeguards. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm sure those parents
0: took a look at that. Said, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna call that number right
1: They skipped right now. your. They skipped your spark note they skip, saying it was like yeah. now we're
0: gonna read this document. <laughs> to make sure
1: they know their right. rights. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think we answered. I don't think we answered my question. I really wanted to get answered because I, in my experience, I've seen a lot of incompetent teachers who. Okay. Um, who you know aren't just aren't good teachers, like, right? and that's just and that's just true. That's, t- a that's true word though. That's Competent? true too. And but it's true though. It's incompetent. It's true though. There are teachers who are just not able mm-hmm. to do their job to the best of their ability, either since they since they came as it became a teacher, mm-hmm. or they have lost that passion, and then they're not able to do it, mm-hmm. or something happened with the like the demographics is changing too much, and mm-hmm. they're just not able to connect the cultures are too different i mean incompetence i mean I, I feel like we should be using that word incompetent because that like you said it's a harsh word but it's a strong stance on making sure that our children get the education that they deserve and that we right. don't have these disparities if we have teachers what what i've always heard um is that special education teaching is just good teaching you know what i'm saying like especially mm-hmm. like if we always able to modify to, to um, students abilities it was yeah. able to make sure that classrooms was able if we was able to have you know, smaller class sizes, you know, especially as the cap on social ed classes and things like that. If we was able to implement those things into just regular education, how much better would our education system be uh, with that? Uh, but uh, what I really want to focus on is the that uh, we do get, like you said, we do get falsely labeled. Mm-hmm. And parents are sometimes forced to, like, although they're making a decision, right? Mm-hmm. You think about, well, do I do these services? so I can get my kids these services, but why aren't these services provided without that label right right so that's my thing like it's it's kind of a fourth segment like mm-hmm. where it's like okay, you're saying my kid um uh, we're going to e b d okay my kid might yell when there's you know when he when he's upset mm-hmm. or it might get his um his zero to one hundred is really one hundred right mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. And so we have no coping skills. Mm-hmm. So, okay, you've done those interventions. You did that little pre-intervention stuff right. on the first thing, and you feel like this doesn't work, and that doesn't work, right? things like this. What is the difference between those services now? Because what I see is, um, and especially in the high school sector, it's like, well, what if these services were just created in the classroom? Cause what I see is like, okay, we're doing coping skills. We're learning how to calm myself. But what if mm-hmm. these are just social emotional skills that were just always in the classroom yeah. without having these labels? Because when you start to have a label, and students start to have a label, I mean, they take that on. Self fulfilling prophecy is a thing. Yeah. But it was like, I have this. I'm doing this. This this now when taking the label. I mean.
2: So here's the thing. With those interventions that are in place, teachers are trying things. You have competent teachers who really care about their students, they're passionate about teaching, they're passionate about their jobs and their school, and they are really willing to go the extra mile. They're even willing to go uh, extra few dollars from their bank account to provide whatever they need for their students, such as fidgets, right, the little, mm-hmm. these, I don't know, squishy fart, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. play-doh thing that's the yeah, yeah, one who yeah, yeah, yeah. get them at the
2: Dollar Tree, I guess. And kids love those, but... They really try to allow an opportunity for those kids to have an outlet. It could be a quiet space in the room. Um, they try to provide accommodations without it really being official because a part of the IEP, they have accommodations and modifications for the student tailored to that student, and it could be sitting near the teacher during instruction, having a shared paraprofessional in the classroom, but they have all of those. Even what I've seen right now, a shared paraprofessional for a special education student, a gen ed student might need a paraprofessional to help them academically or to help settle down in the class. And they're not even at the evaluation process yet. So there are several different things that teachers are able to do in their classroom on their own prior to the evaluation, prior to the SCSC process, which is what we use for the child find process. Okay. And so, I mean, there are things that are being done But it's just how long are you going to allow the student to fall behind to disrupt the class, maybe or to lack those coping skills before you're like, no, we got to change him to a different, he has to get out of here and he has to be expelled or he has to, he has to find a different school. No, special education is another route.
1: I hear you about the the another route, right. It's, It's another route and, and. I hear you, how long are you going to have that scholar um, uh, fall behind and things like that. And I hear you about teachers, like we have, co- like you said, we have competent teachers who do competent things, mm-hmm. who go way and beyond their things. And I know many of those competent teachers as well. On the split side, I know many incompetent teachers, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. like, I I mean, um, I'm looking, I'm trying to, I'm looking at the special education, because we're talking about the disparities, you know, disparities, and like we really yeah. not really we, i don't think we're really getting at the meat of like why why the disparities why why more ebd black males and mm-hmm. ebd why more black males in special education in general versus on 504 plans mm-hmm. why interventions not why intervention is not being on um, widespread without the special ed label mm-hmm. uh, for students um because i see like if a teacher is bringing it if, if english teachers bringing in fidgets for the students and he's being successful in english then why isn't those same things being modified in math social mm-hmm. studies and history i mean math social studies and chemistry mm-hmm. or sciences without having that official label i hear you about that official document Like that's the official mm-hmm. document that teachers have to follow but even when that official document come out there's, two, there's still teachers who are co- to continue to be Incompetent. Yes, and not follow and not follow the IEP mm-hmm. and five hundred four plan, and then wonder why mm-hmm. the student continues to fall behind. So even with the official document, like right, there's mm-hmm. teachers who are like, "This is too much. Mm-hmm. I'm not a special ed teacher. Mm-hmm. Fuck pushing. Mm-hmm. Like the pushing model is a real thing, and it's, it's yes, it is to be successful. Fuck pushing. <laughs> Fuck co-teaching. Like <laughs> right, still don't.
2: Here's the thing, like tough because I even got, I have a nephew, and he goes to a school that's a nice school, nice neighborhood, nice white teachers, okay, and from what I have heard from someone else who works in the district, not particularly at that school, but in the district, prior to my nephew even going to this high school, said that there are classes that are designed for students of color to take because they are prejudged or they are encouraged to take based on the credits. These classes are non-credit or they're low credit classes. So by the time these kids get to graduation. This is high high school? This This is high school. school. Okay. By the time they get to graduation, they're either taking night school or summer classes to catch up because they're taking non-credit classes that are not benefiting them. These students of color are being pushed to do that. So when you're thinking, that that just broke my heart. So when my nephew says, oh, I'm taking this class and this class, I'm like, uh-uh, I need to talk to your counselor, mm-hmm. and I'm going to talk to your mom because this is not acceptable. You're not going to keep taking study hall or a class <laughs> like study hall to every, every try or every semester. That's not going to fly because I don't want him to fall behind. That is just another way, such as this label. That label will carry you until you have an IEP and you exit, out of special education successfully, you will have that academic label. You will have that label put on you. It's just another way to keep students of color out of that succession line. Mm-hmm. It's just another way to just slow them down a little bit. And then another way for them to be looked at, oh my gosh, you know, he's taking remedial classes. He's not that smart. Mm-hmm. He can't succeed as much. So having those low expectations put on the it's just another way for them to maybe even to just that that self-fulfilling prophecy they, they're not feeling fulfilled they know they're behind and you have you keep them in those classes and it's it's not helping them succeed it's not mm-hmm. having them want to succeed yeah they and, just feel stuck
1: yeah and and we talk about evaluations. Is, is there a law between values is it like yearly evaluations is it, does it depend on the, the IEP mm-hmm. like who writes that the evaluation needs to happen X amount of years. Yes.
2: Yeah, so good point. Thank you I apologize for not mentioning that but every year it is required to hold an annual IEP meeting to see where their progress has been in regards to their goals and so every kid has different goals based on their academics or whatever needs that they have and then every three years is when they do the full-on evaluation or re-evaluation to see if they are eligible for special education services.
1: Okay, so um, so if a teacher doesn't do a good job, or a case manager doesn't do a good job of data tracking, mm-hmm. it's hard to re It's hard to follow that, those goals. Absolutely. Or if they don't over the next over the last or the next over the three year period, it's really hard to know whether is that does that re-evaluation include the past three years, two mm-hmm. years of the IEP meeting.
2: Yep, they take a look at previous assessments that were given and the diagnosis if there is an existing one. Um, So whatever information that they can pull from the past and the present and all see if there is a need for, excuse me, special education services. And in fact I just finished up two two evaluations actually and I'm in the process of doing two more and there is a need. And I mean I know it, I can see it when I'm visiting my students in their small group Mm -hmm. and I could it when I go to visit them in their classroom. They need support, they need to get closer to grade level and that is why I'm in the job that I am right now.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm thinking, I'm looking at, so a scholar who might have been diagnosed in 4th grade, mm-hmm. right, the next evaluation would be until 7th grade. Correct. And then the next evaluation would be into 10th grade. Yeah. Right, and then that scholar, even if making progress from ten to eleven, would can't be can't get out of special education because their next evaluation technically wouldn't be until the, college.
2: No, the student doesn't necessarily have to wait until an
1: evaluation. Okay. So if
2: they make sufficient progress, okay. if the data shows that right, they cool. are, yeah, yeah, they could definitely get out. That's
1: the okay. Because I think, but you, you know, sorry. that's what I'm saying. No, 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 no. You're not, it's nothing wrong, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, if you, I'm thinking of a teacher who's who's either by basic book or only uh, only given the, the, the uh, not getting the totality of the story. Mm-hmm. They're saying like, yep, every three years evaluation, but if the parents don't know or the student don't know, like I can call for a re-evaluation at any point,
2: the thing, then no, that's the. The team can hold a meeting at any time. They can okay. take a look at the IEP at any time. It's an okay. I- evaluation that is. Every three years, That's what I'm and saying. so yep. Yeah, if they see that there's adequate progress, if they if the teachers notice, the parents, the special education mm-hmm. teachers that they are making adequate process like progress, like I'm seeing with the student right now, mm-hmm. they may not qualify for special education services anymore. And an IEP team meeting can be held, and everybody discusses the data and the information, and a team decision is made. Mm-hmm. Just like a parent can take their kid out of special at any time, a, a student can make. Amazing
1: progress, and get out of special End at any time. Okay, cool. All right, so we got the approval evaluation process. Mm-hmm. We got the IEP and the mm-hmm. five hundred four plan, and we talked about that. Um, uh, less restricted area, twenty one percent. Um, so this parent participation thing. Um, you have said you said on this podcast that you think it's very important for parents to be involved in the process mm-hmm. of each time. Now, what does involvement look like for you? Like when you're dealing with the students on, your case, manage, on yeah. your case law, what does involvement look like for you? Because you also would say whether the parent responds or not. Mm-hmm. So what, one, what is the the law is whether they respond or not, we can, we, we have to notify them, right? That's the law, that's yeah. what you're saying?
2: Yeah, so for instance, um, we schedule an IEP team meeting and the parent doesn't show, Um, we try to reschedule another one if they don't show for that one we just hold the iept meeting we try to contact them get them on speaker phone but the iept meeting needs to be held annually so um, we try we let the parents know at least more than two times at least more than once excuse me and then go from there my contact my parent participation is they all have my personal cell phone so my case has 12
1: Kids on it right
2: Woo! now. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. But you do an emails, you know, for a couple yeah. of them, it's a lot. Process, it's the, I'm telling you, it's a lot. But I, they all have my personal cell phone number. I tell them to call, text, email whenever they have questions or anything like that. So we are in constant open line of communication. I tell them when their child has an up day or a down day, when they are all the way to the right or they're all the way to the left. I let them know any. Great progress, or things that they want to share with their families, or they might be nervous to tell mom that they got an A on a test or something, um, and so not that's my my ideal participation. Be in contact with me as their case manager. Ask questions. If I check in, let me know what's going on. They can check in with me too. So okay. keeping that open. All right, definitely.
1: So, mm mm mm, mm. special education, <laughs> All right? So. I hear you. I hear you on, you know, these are another entry level, another service, another way for scholars to be helped and to be given the services that mm-hmm. are needed for mm-hmm. them for scholars who really need it, right? Yeah. Um without that, you know, without those respective dis- discrepancies. Like mm-hmm. these are scholars of disproportionate, these are scholars who really need it and that and scholars who are going to benefit because that's happening, right? Um because of the discrepancies, because of the disproportion, um typically people African to not move forward in the process or, uh, yeah. you know, I really staff or I label will be move forward in the process. Right. Uh, what is the, what do you think, what is, what is that coming from and why, and how can that, um, one, contribute to the disparities that mm-hmm. we see and two, not give their scholars the service that they need to be successful?
2: Yeah. I think it's kind of like a wait and see. Let's wait and see what happens. They also need to realize that by the time they're in third grade, if those early interventions are not put in place, specifically the academic piece, they look at the third grade MCA. You know, you're talking about the prison pipeline. Like, get, I, for me, I was totally against it. And I'm just like, that kid ain't special ed. That kid does not need to be a special ed. Why is he special ed? But then now I see it. And I'm the one saying, let's get this kid interventions now. Let's get this kid's special ed services now. So when he's not in fifth, sixth grade and he's two grade levels behind, they're gonna be saying, where's the evaluation? Get the services when they can. Even if there's a label, you know, even with Jackson, if there's a label, if those interventions can be done, the label could be taken off sooner than they think. So having faith and trusting that whatever is needed to have that student be successful, I would encourage the parents to do that. I would encourage the team to do that. But I'm telling you, it's it's really, really tough when you have that student dealing with whatever disability they have. And then having that lack of confidence and having that lack of fulfillment. Like, it's tough. It's tough. You yeah, want to do what's yeah, best for
1: them. Yeah, you're in a rock and a hard place where you, you, you but, feel like, you yeah. know, as, as a parent, as a family member um, of a child who um, might be um, diagnosed or labeled with a special, edu- special um, education, that it's really hard to be like, do I proceed with it and, and mm-hmm. have my child be the outlier or the, the token EBD? Mm-hmm. Uh, label child, especially label child, or do I really do this to benefit my child early mm-hmm. on and fight for, or advocate for my child to be off when I see those problems that are happening, so like a parent really has to be involved in the process right we really want um uh, really want to make sure that their child is given the best services that mm-hmm. is available to them now oh uh, that's just public education, yeah, private education is a whole different monster different right private education don't really have to. Provide? Do they have to provide services for special education? Absolutely, they do. Okay. I, I, I
2: would I would say that you know there are some differences there, and I don't really know, but I would believe so, just because. Yeah. It's a private school, and the parents are paying for their students' education. But I believe that that all rules apply. Yeah. You know.
1: So what about these? So we both work at summer programs, and we both worked at the Children's Defense Fund Freedom School. Yeah. Um, a couple of years together. What was it like? Two years, I think it was that we yeah. worked together i got out that piece um not out out the site off the site out the site not out of the movement but um <laughs> away from the site um uh, right. so and i know one thing you brought up um uh, while i was there was about special education um mm-hmm. uh, was about like how are we servicing and you used to work in ico before you came over to the south side mm-hmm. uh, and you brought up Um, that's that problem with like we have families and children Mm -hmm. who have ieps and 504 plans during Mm -hmm. the school year Mm -hmm. and they come to our summer program and we treat them as if those services don't exist don't exist Mm -hmm. so can you just tell us about your fight for that um and you're you can you are going to be the new site coordinator at the place that uh i used to work at so can you just tell us one your fight for that in the freedom school movement to make sure that we are recognizing special Mm -hmm. education services and catering to IE, IEPs and 504 mm-hmm. plans and then um, as a site coordinator this year and te- having your own site, mm-hmm. um, what, is, what ways are you going to try to make sure that those IEPs and 504 plans are implemented yeah. um, in a way where the student can be successful with the Freedom School model that's proven to be successful with your kids?
2: Right, and I mean, going back to it, Freedom Schools is the reason why I wanted to get it back into education yeah. and specifically why I wanted to work in special ed because I, understand that there's a huge gap that's between the last day of school and then the first day of school when they come back in the fall. There's some knowledge loss. Yes, yeah, some learning loss. Okay, yeah, the definitely. math test scores. So, <laughs> there's <some> And <math. laughs> I mean, mind you, you're not going to remember everything you did from last spring, but yeah. with that being said. Well, everybody. Right, today, right. I can't remember what I did two days ago. I'm telling you. So, like, I, don't know I, eat this
1: right, I don't know if I graded your paper brother or not. <laughs> Is it in the grade book? <laughs> <laughs> well, go ahead.
2: I'm but it's it's definitely because of Freedom School why I wanted to get myself into special education. Um, and just through the summers that I've worked with CDF Freedom Schools, I've seen, I, I, some kids I don't even know, I, I, unless I went back and looked at their information and saw that they had an IEP, but uh, you wouldn't even know because we are ourselves, we are really engulfed in what Freedom Schools has to offer with our cheers and chants. And, Diving into IRC, the integrated reading curriculum, all of that. You can't even really tell, but how we accommodate the students in the past is we've gotten lap. They're called um, like weighted lap pads, Mm -hmm. and that helps kids calm down if they're feeling anxious, they're feeling angry, frustrated, or whatever they need to do, providing breaks. They may have scheduled breaks throughout the day um, with the site coordinator or with myself as the float prior. we could provide those fidgets, as we talked about before. Sometimes kids just need a nap, <laughs> they just need to sleep. And so providing that nap as well, a nap place um, for them too. And so just really taking in account what the student needs. Yes, they're all there for that reading literacy program, which is fantastic through the roof, Awesome, amazing, um, all day long. But. able to be accommodated despite it all and so just really thinking about what the student needs what the scholar needs throughout the summer Um, and it just helps me grow as well what I need to do for my students in the summer and the fall
1: so and parents aren't aren't legally forced to tell us their IEPs and 504 plans for a summer program Um, so what how do you how Does someone who's running a summer program, who might be listening to this podcast, who see that, okay, this child might have an IAP file for approaches that conversation with a parent who's not legally obligated Mm -hmm. to tell? how 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 do you, what do you suggest people do to post those conversations?
2: Absolutely. So, first thing I would say is on the application for the site that I'll be working at, there is a box that's checked that you can check for does the student have an iep now some students some parents may forget to check the box or they don't want to check the box for maybe that fire label right mm-hmm. or judging
0: yeah
2: there are no judgments in freedom school but um with that said if there are concerns that arise it could be whatever attention behavior or something i would just approach it such as hey you know i'm noticing that this young lady is having difficulty with staying in the classroom, or she's having difficulty with staying on task, whatever the case may be. Can you tell me what I can do to help her out in the classroom to be successful? Um, is there anything that was done prior in, the, in her school, during the regular school year, Help her be successful, I think that going about it that could be a good start. I think you're saying, does she have an
1: IEP? <laughs> like, how does that
2: sound, you know? Like try to finesse. Your body me.
1: language too okay. though. <laughs> hey, so look.
2: <laughs>
1: she gotta have an IEP. Right? <laughs> <laughs> at least a five or four. <laughs> right, right.
2: So definitely try and go in it, finessing mm-hmm. and really being sincere and wanting to know it more empathetic, mm-hmm. I would say. Trying to really know what's going on instead of just saying hey, there's, there's something wrong with We uh, yeah.
1: got you know, mm-hmm. so. So yeah, so just being real authentic and not really real authentic putting the label, together. but saying mm-hmm. these are the things I'm seeing and that parent, still has that choice in my body. Yep, mm-hmm. they got IEP. or we see those things too. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's the school couldn't do anything about it. So then how do you go on to you know, with your expertise? So you as a site coordinator, you have this expertise and you are a licensed teacher, you're you a special ed teacher. Mm-hmm. So if you go to a parent, you're like, Hey, I've been noticing these things, what are prior things? The parent like, look, we tried everything and it hasn't worked and you know with your expertise, like, okay, this might be a special ed case, would you start that conversation with that parent and prepare them or would you be like hey when you go to school in the in in, uh, in the school year you need to talk to somebody about giving these like how you know how do you how you do that because we know we we have these as educators and, and like parents are they are their first child educator and uh, advocate always right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but as former educators we you know we see things and we're like bam this is what the diagnosis is because I learned this in the book right um, but we how do you go on and have that conversation with that parent and guardian that says, like, it's a shame that the people at your school haven't told you about these mm-hmm. services that are available to your child? Mm-hmm. How do you go on and-
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely being open and, like, authentic, like you said. So asking questions. What are you noticing? What is particular with your child that they are struggling with or they're having difficulty with? Um, asking Maybe even doing a little bit of, just asking more about the school, that could just be something mm-hmm. else. So yeah. I always ask, well, what school do, do they go at? What school do they go to? And at some point I might Google it myself and just take a look at what the rating is and what the comment is. Mm-hmm. So doing a little extra research. But then, again, like I said, asking those questions and trying to be as open. So stay with the yes and no questions, try to get something open-ended. What was the school like um, for your child? What were some things that were done on behalf of the student? Did they have any support personnel? Did they have any staff working with them? Do they receive any outside counseling services? You know, what What can best be done? What can What can be done the best in order to help your child succeed? So just really trying to get to the um, nitty gritty of it all and asking those questions. Cool.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. Well, y'all, I saw this has been the most informative podcast and the most chill to one as well. Oh, uh, so. I try to get Jatu um hyped up, but she was like, "Nah, but uh, <laughs> trust me, I got some information." Nah, <laughs> um, but um, this has been this has been great because it's one talking about the discrepancies and disparities and really talking about them. Um, and then on the, and on the other hand, we don't really hear when we talk about special ed and discrepancies. It's usually that rah ri- is kind of like, "This is wrong. Discrepancy is this which mm-hmm. we know, like we know mm-hmm. there's a disproportion. We know that um, incompetent teachers are always are, lab- are have the, there's a chance where kids go through the go through the process and don't really need to be part of the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know those things happen and on the flip side, um, it's about there's some students who really need these services mm-hmm. um, and about doing those services early and mm-hmm. intervening early is the possibility that those children would not have that label or be out of their mm-hmm. service by the time they get um third fourth fifth or sixth grade right right so really um understanding the whole process about special education and what it was meant to do is original mission what it was meant to do was to provide free education and public education and the right accommodations and services to students who didn't receive those services prior to 1975 right right
2: okay. yeah i mean there's a lot to it and you know no matter what this st- may be going through I don't know if y'all know about the Aces adverse childhood experiences, but that has an effect on labeling our babies. So if we could just do a better job at supporting and loving on our babies. I think we'll have a higher success rate and low, lower overrepresentation of those little black boys in special education. Yeah. We also need our teachers of color.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we, we yeah definitely. Like, right? there's a lot of things. <laughs> the,
2: the males, because those black males.
1: Hey, like I said, mm-hmm. if you're a black want to be in special education, somebody gonna pay for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is
2: true. Somebody gonna
1: pay for it. Uh, somebody definitely gonna pay for it. But I think we we've been here we've been here a long time. I think we had some great conversations. I think we had some great conversation. I think I had some great questions. Um, you know, I had great questions to ask you. <laughs> um, and I think we we can always just continue this conversation. Can continue. Um, mm-hmm. past this podcast about um the 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 disparities in education, and the reality of children needing special education, yeah. resources and opportunities to make sure everything is equitable. Uh, and I think that's a great conversation. Anything you want to leave people with before uh, we sign off?
2: I just want to say thank you to everyone who was listening. I hope you got something out of it and just to continue to love on our babies each and every day that you spend with them, if you are in education or not. That's
1: the love. Let's just love one another. Let's love everyone another. Remember, you can follow Popular by Unpopular Demand on iTunes. Subscribe it and share it. Or uh, If you don't like iTunes or you don't have Apple Music and you're like, I'm not going to pay for that, <laughs> um, you can follow us for free on SoundCloud um, at Popular by Unpopular Demand. Subscribe, share, and like it. You can always go on our Facebook and follow us at Popular by Unpopular Demand. A lot of information is posted by Daily. You, know, you hear that? By Daily. Oh, like every two days information posted in this podcast is posted every week um thank you Jatu um, mm-hmm. for coming in and being part of this conversation about special education thank you for the listeners for listening thank you solo star for letting me use your theme song every week um you can follow solo star at solo star music on SoundCloud, once again that solo star is solo Star music on Soundcloud and I think that's it, it is late um, for those who were out celebrating Valentine's Day yesterday mm-hmm. forget you no <laughs> yeah <funny. laughs> no, but the celebrating love, I hope you celebrate it in the way with the ones that you love, whether that's your significant other or just family members, whoever you love. Or yourself. Sure. Love yourself. Yes. <laughs> self-love. I did a lot of self-love yesterday. Like, I love myself. Like <laughs> right. So, signing off. Thank you. Thank you, too And we'll talk to y'all next week
0: ambition is just to bring me down. So should I be that clown you trying to make me paint a smile on my face? feign happiness while you break me. At least attempt to step out my comfort zone to execute this master plan. I'm trying to elevate to heights my family seen before. I wake up daily physically, mentally trained for war. I'm trained for war. Yes. About to explode, locked and loaded better than ever before. Pray for I'm for war, yes. Huh. About to explode, locked and loaded, better than ever before. Huh. I'm trained for war.